This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. You may be seated. God bless you. How good it is to be back with you again. I almost wore that shirt this morning. I have like five of them. Everyone liked it, so I just went and bought all the stock in my size. In fact, I bought an extra large as well in case I ever put on weight, which will never be, but I did get an extra large just in case I expanded in the ministry and got bigger. It's good to be here, trusting God for holy deposits and downloads into your life, both this morning, tonight, and Monday night. I had a great time with the leaders and the developing leadership team last night as I shared six keys for increase and promotion. How many would like to be increased in God and promoted in God? We often hear the phrase, God is taking you into new dimensions, there's a new level, there's going to be a a breakthrough and God's going to promote and increase your life. Well, He doesn't promote sloth. He doesn't promote indifference. He promotes the faithful, the diligent, the excellent, those with unwavering commitment, uh, those that walk in obedience. And, uh, and, and so I shared those principles with the leadership, but I ended up the session by saying, you know, I shared this with you as leadership, but actually this is the requirement for the least of us. It's not just for the leadership. This is how all believers should live. We should live excellently with diligence, with faithfulness, with unwavering commitment, and uh, being obedient to the Word and to the voice of God. And so um, I have shared my notes with Pastor Bob, and um, I told him they are my teaching notes. They're unedited, but I felt convicted that what I should do is just tighten them up and put them into a print form, send it to him, and then he'll get it to the, the leadership, and, and I'm sure it will be available to the membership as well, because God wants to increase us. God's eyes are going to and fro throughout all the earth looking for someone that He can use. He doesn't want to keep us down. It's not God's business to keep us down at the lowest place. He wants to elevate us into influence and an increased anointing. We we desire to walk in the supernatural power of God, but there there is a, it is the gift of God, but it's an entrustment. And the, the, the strength of the anointing on your life actually makes a demand on the character to be established in your life because if you're to stand the test of hell's attacks as you step into the anointing, then you need to have an established character that can handle what he wants to do through you supernaturally. So that was a, a good session last night with the leaders and it was good to be with them. But I've looked forward to this morning. And I'm trusting God that what I'm about to share with you, we, um, Pastor Rob and Pastor Bob came to see me in January in Rantoul, and I was sharing a series called I Seek, little I-S-E-E-K, I Seek, and um, the Spirit of God was moving very powerfully in those meetings, and they asked me if I would share that word here as well. And it has pretty much been one of my areas of focus over the last few months as I've gone around the world and the nations uh, sharing. I've been dealing with this, I seek. Uh, Tonight, I want to deal with, I seek first. Our highest priority is to seek. And there's two ways that we seek God. The one is we, we seek Him for salvation. And the second is we who are saved. We seek Him because we know there's so much more of Him to discover. So tonight I'm going to share with I seek Him, and, I'm going to, and I seek Him as a priority. And then on Monday night, I want to share I seek not my own. Many are after their own interests, but there is a demand in the Spirit that we seek not our own, that we live for something bigger than ourselves. I've been to South Africa four times already, well, Africa four times this year, 
Uh, in fact, I went to Africa twice in one week. And it's a 15-hour flight just from Atlanta to Johannesburg, and I did that in one week twice there and back. Uh, do the math. It's a lot of jet lag. In fact, I got young and I got old and I got young again. It was like an amazing time. I never aged in a whole week. <laughs> um, so um, while I was there, one of the churches gave me like a register and they said, would you please write words that would be a, your message to this church, what you would like to say. And I didn't even have to pause or even pray about it, meditate. And I said, I, I, I trust that you would dare to live and, yea, even die for something bigger than yourself, that you would attach yourself to a dream, a God dream, to become enlarged, to live for something. Well, most people are living for themselves, and let alone dying for something bigger than themselves. And yet the call of the, uh, the voice of God is for a people that will abandon all, that will embrace the interests of eternity. And, uh, and so that's what I'm going to be sharing tonight and Monday. So if you don't like those subjects, stay at home. And um, if they appeal to you, then I know that you'll be here. Now this morning... I think it's one of the most important messages that God has ever given me, and I call it, I seek Him in the sanctuary. I seek Him in the sanctuary. I'm going to talk about church, and uh, of course, immediately the term sanctuary seems to, to uh, give us this image of God living in a building, and I'm going to come to that. He does. He does living buildings. He does visit us in buildings. He does touch us in buildings. And it's not wrong to understand that there is a sanctuary, there is a place of gathering. Though it is not a place, we are a people. We're a living organism, and He dwells in us, and yet He moves in buildings. I want to start by making a, a couple of statements. 25 years ago, almost 26 years ago, when I came to the United States of America, um, with the message of revival, uh, the church, I think, was a lot stronger in its commitment to church than it is today. Uh, 25 years ago, the average Christian attended church on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night. I'm just talking about average. I'm not talking about super saint, the one that, is it a bird, is it a uh, a plane. Uh, I'm just talking about average. The average Christian attended church two to three times a week if you were in leadership form or less. Now the new statistics are that if you attend church once a month, you're deemed a faithful member. And I'm thinking in the light of the Word of God, that is outrageous when it says not forsaking the assembling together as is the custom, it has become the custom for people to now move away from the assembling together. It has been deemed not that important. And that's after years of a great move of God in this nation, you'd think we would have intensified and strengthened our relationship with one another and with Him in our corporate gathering, but in fact it has become diluted. I believe there's got to come a, a, a turnaround in the church, and I'm going to tell you why, because church is important. It is so important that Jesus said that He is the head of the body, the church is His body, and He is the head. We are inseparable. I was in a church a while back, and the pastor got up and he prayed, Lord, we invite you into this place as our, our, our guests, and I'm thinking, that's ludicrous. What a poor uh, demonstration of your ignorance to think that he is a guest in his church, his body, like I'm inviting you to be part of your body. He is the builder and the possessor of the church. He is not a guest. He is the possessor of the church. He believes in the church more than the church believes in him. He said, where two or more are gathered in my name, church, there I am even in your midst. And I believe that it is a, uh, it is a strategy that has been orchestrated in hell. And that is to disconnect Christians from Christians. 
to disconnect us from the ascension ministry gifts that are to equip and mobilize our lives into the work of ministry. Let's get them distracted. And I think the strategy of hell, and the Bible says let's not be ignorant of his devices, or we are not ignorant of his devices. Uh, the strategy of hell is not to entice Christians to be evil and to be perverted, just to be neutral, indifferent, apathetic, disconnected, because the devil knows the authority that the church has as the collective force of God in the spirit realm. And he knows that if he can get us disconnected and separated, it gives him a greater influence into the spiritual dimensions where we ought to be enforcing the, the word and the power of God into these realms. He's enforcing his evil influence into these realms. Now, I say that based on a scripture that says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. It doesn't mean he will not try to prevail. It just means that because of the finished work of the cross, we are guaranteed success. We are guaranteed that the church will never be destroyed by death or by hell. Persecution cannot destroy us. Right now, I'm working in a couple of places in India, and in fact, this year, we will plant and establish 100 churches. And I got the report yesterday from my director there, and he's saying some of the, the, the churches are in such persecution Buildings have been burnt, the believers have been beaten and assaulted, but in the midst of that, the people are, are studying the Word, they are praying, they are committed, because the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, in America, we are not challenged with persecution, it is a violent persecution, we are challenged with a subtle persecution to diminish our role. You can be any religion in this nation and have almost freedom to express it. You cannot express freedom in your colleges in this nation, but the other religions can. We cannot express our symbolism, but they can express demonic symbolism right in D.C. right now. Let the church try build a memorial to the glory of God and see how far we get. And yet, satanic worshipers want to construct their monument. And I'm thinking how the mighty have fallen, how we ought to have a strengthening of the church, not a weakening, but the devil wants to mute us. He wants to silence the gospel. He wants to eradicate our voice to this generation so that media has a greater sound into the lives and the homes of this nation. And it's time for us to be amplified. We need to be like Grand Funk Railroad and get the biggest amplifiers possible and jam into our society the sound of the word and the power of God. Instead of having little mini amplifiers, the little portable ones like a boom box, we need to have the biggest sound possible. God wants to amplify our lives and amplify the message of the gospel through a united church into this nation that we may regain our place in society and not lose ground. But for that to happen, we as individuals and we collectively have to take our place and understand our role. I, wanna, I want to stress something here from the Word of God, and I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 19 to 22, because it seems like the devil is trying to pull us away from the church, but Paul in his prayer here is, is strengthening the sound of the church into the spirit dimension, and this is his prayer. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above, say far above, 
all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and here it is, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. In other words, the church is not meant to be the ones being attacked. We ought to become the offensive force into the spiritual dimensions, not hell orchestrating our value system and silencing the church. It is time for the church to rise against principality and power and be the voice of God to our generation. But for that to happen, we have to believe in church. Because it's not just given to us as individuals, it is given to us to the church. It is our collective voice. It is our collective sound that is louder than our individual sound. Notice, and he put all things under his feet, that's his body, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So the enemies of God have to be placed under his feet. He did it at the cross, but now we have to enforce it on the earth. Also look at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 8 to 12. And I'm praying that you get revelation of this because this cannot be caught intellectually. It has to be caught in the realms of your spirit. Just like Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. There is a, a, a revelation that we must have of, of the church, just like we need to have a revelation of Christ. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And upon this, this revelation of who I am, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so it is a revelation of Christ that gives us the understanding of our role in the church. But we also need to have a revelation of the church, not a cultural worldview of the church. We have to get this by revelation. For me, to me, this is Paul speaking, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Notice this fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages have been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Say by the church. In other words, this fellowship that we have as both Jewish and Gentiles believers, this communion, this unity that exists, that we are connected to Him as individuals, but we are connected together collectively to Him as the church, our fellowship in the Spirit, this mystery, this new man, one man, uh, the new creation man, the new creation species, this fellowship of the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is from the beginning hidden, was understood culturally by the Jewish people, but not by the Gentile nations. Now it has been revealed the wisdom of God revealed how by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through faith in Him. So it is in our salvation in Him. Our boldness, our authority in Him, our relationship in Him, who with Him and with one another as the church that we reveal into the spirit dimensions the authority of God. It's like all hell is breaking loose against the church, distracting us from our collective sound, our collective force into the nation and into the nations. And this is why it is essential that we understand the church by revelation so that we can restore the lost ground, that which is stolen, that which is lost, that which has been destroyed can be restored so that we can walk, as Pastor Bob shared, into this place in the Spirit, in the glory of God in this nation again. God has not given up on the church, but it's like the church is giving up on the church. And we have to get this back. 
I was thinking of that song we were singing. In my father's house, there's a place for me, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the here and now. In my father's house, the church, the revelation of the collective family of God, there is a place for me. Easy to sing it, but we don't recognize it by the Spirit. I love what in the parable of the great supper, he says, go and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. God wants his house filled with his saints, with his people, those that have been reached and brought in. They must come into the house. Our salvation, and I've shared this here before, our salvation is a personal relationship with God. We're saved not into a religious movement. We're not saved into a denomination. We're saved into a relationship with the living God. As a child of God, you have access to the throne of God, and the throne of God should have access to your life so that it is a fellowship. You speak to God, but God speaks to you. You have a relationship. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, but in the new creation, we walk with him 24-7 because now it's not contained to a garden, a certain place, a certain time of the day, but you have uninterrupted access to him. Can someone say hallelujah? That is the new creation. That is what it means to be born again. To be born again is not just to be saved from hell to go to heaven, but it's so that you may know him on earth, walk with him, and fellowship with him. And so we understand that our salvation is personal. Your parents cannot be saved for you. Your pastor cannot be saved for you. You must be born again. You must be saved for yourself. No one can do that for you. No one can uh, make that decision for you. It is a decision of your will. If you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you don't call on the name of the Lord, you will not be saved. You have to personally appropriate the provision of the cross and receive it by faith. And then as you call upon the name of the Lord, you are saved from hell. You are saved from the force of the devil and you even saved from yourself. You're saved to the glory of God. Hallelujah. But you're not just saved personally. You're also saved, and at that moment of salvation, you are baptized into the body of Christ. You are made a member of His church. There is no such thing as a personal salvation. What is known as a personal and a corporate salvation. You are not just saved individually, but you are saved corporately because the moment you are saved, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And I want to make a statement. Anyone that is saved and is not part of a local church is out of the will of God. They are in rebellion to the law and the Word of God because we cannot make it on our own. You cannot be equipped on your own. You cannot be trained on your own. God has give, given gifts to men, and He has called people to become the equippers to the saints for the work of ministry. And without those equipping gifts, you will be spiritually dwarfed your entire life. Your level of disobedience and separation will make you a sitting duck to all the forces of hell, and you'll be useless in the kingdom. You'll sing your songs, you'll pray your personal prayers, and you'll make it into heaven. That's called the grace of God. But on this earth, you'll be ineffective. You'll be a, 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 a citizen to your circumstances and to your environment, and you will not be a world changer. You'll not shake your world. You'll not turn it upside down. You'll be indifferent. You'll be passive. You'll be weak-kneed. You'll be gutless. You'll be useless when it comes to fulfilling the Word of God. Yet you'll be saved. Why? Because it's the blood of Jesus that saves you, not your works, not your church attendance. But if you want to be fruitful... If you want to be effective, if you want your life to count for something, you've got to be included into the body of Christ where you are shaped, forged, made. Follow me and I will make you. God has people that today make us, disciple us, forge us. But it needs a shift in our mentality from a place that we attend once a week to a people who we are. 
There has to be the shift in an understanding that it is not a Sunday morning tradition, but it is a way of life that we are directly connected to Him and to one another. And in the, this collective force, we are made, shaped, we pray together, we walk together, we work together, we dream together for something bigger than ourselves. In Acts chapter 7, verses 44 and verses 46 to 50, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. In other words, they had a place of gathering where the glory of God was manifest in their midst. It was called the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. In fact, Israel was called the church in the wilderness. As he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. So the tabernacle was made according to a pattern, a design that Moses saw as God gave it to him. Call that revelation. We need to understand that the tabernacle was built according to a blueprint. The church has a blueprint. It is revealed in the Word of God, and just like it was constructed in the wilderness, the church is a holy construction in the Spirit on earth. We read on. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all things? So we understand that you cannot contain God to a building, to a place, because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. And if you look at the woman at the well with, the, uh, with her questions to Jesus, where will we worship? She was limiting it to a place, to a location. But in the Spirit, there is no limitation. However, I'm going to show you that there is a holy construction in the Spirit. The people of God are fitted and joined together to a holy temple in God. We are built by the Spirit, constructed together in our unity to be both a priesthood and to be a temple to our God. If I could interject with a quick summary, and I've taught this year, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but the mission statement of Global Ministries and Relief is reaching the lost, equipping the saints, building the church. Why? Because that is the purpose of God. For every believer, we are called and anointed into the Great Commission, which is to reach the lost. But we're not just to reach the lost, we're to disciple the found. We're to equip the saints to train them. If we just get people saved from hell to heaven, we have not got task accomplished. We have got not mission accomplished. It is part of the Great Commission. And so reaching the lost is phase one. Discipling the found, equipping the, the, the believers is Part two, but three, building the church. We are co-laborers together with him, working in this holy construction. And Paul writes about how he is a master builder. We have to take heed how we build. The building is people. How we build people makes this holy construction called the church. And without a committed people to this holy construction, you will never really be truly joined in the Spirit. You'll never reach your maximum potential. You'll just have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof, and you'll be going through religious traditions no different to the Muslims, to the Hindus, or to any cultist or any other religious group. We are not a religion. We're a people of faith. We are a living organism connected to Him and to one another in the Spirit. Secondly, my discipling process, I start with believers, and the first thing I want to do is get them to become strong believers. The second phase is to get them to become members, because, and you spoke about it in the announcing of the membership class, because the Lord adds to the church 
those who become members of his body. You have to connect. You cannot join. You, you cannot take your kids to a, 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 a football team without signing a release, indemnity forms, going through certain ways of getting in. They don't just go and attend when they want, how they want. If they don't get to the practices, they don't play. If they don't dress the part, they don't play. There are rules. There are conditions to even belonging to a, a children's t-ball or football or soccer, whatever you call it here in, in this nation. And then even if you go join Walmart and you become a cashier, you'll go through a, 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 a process where you'll sign. You'll have to dress a certain way. You'll have to be there at certain hours. They'll orientate you with the rules, with the culture of Walmart. If you go into the military, there is a culture. They get rid of the citizen. They give you a uniform. There is a way in. And you subscribe to their core values, to their system. Church is no different. If you've got it in the world, the world was not the first. It was God first. These are just natural laws. And, but in the spiritual, there is a connection. And what brings us together is our shared values, our shared culture, and our shared faith. Now, if you don't have the culture, culture can shift and change. But you've still got to have shared values and shared vision. That brings us together. How can you walk together unless you be in agreement? We are brought into agreement by the Spirit because we share the same fundamentals of our faith. We have to preserve those. Those are not negotiable. No matter what media says, no matter what times say, no matter what theologians say, we have to stick to the foundations that have been the foundations found in the Apostles' Creed for 2,000 years. Those are non-negotiable. And so I get them to become members. I don't just want them to be members, adherents, attending a part of an audience. I want to get them equipped trained, shaped, molded, so that they can become ministers. Then I'm going to make them skilled, effective ministers. Then make them leaders, then reproducers, and then their world will be changed. I have to take them through this process from believer, member, minister, leader, reproducer, world changer. It is because I understand church. I understand our role. I'm committed to the church. We also see this revelation, Paul on the island, uh, Paul, John on the island of Patmos, he has a revelation. Uh, the revel in fact, the book of Revelation is not the book of revelations, it is a revelation. It is a revelation where the curtain was pulled back that he may see Christ in glory. When he saw Christ in glory, he saw him in the seven lampstands. The seven lampstands were the local church. Jesus is found in the local church. People don't attend church. They don't belong to the church, yet Jesus belongs to the church. If you want to see Jesus, you may see him on the island of Patmos. You may see him in your persecution and suffering, but when you see him, you'll see him in glory where? In the church. Why? Because the church and Christ are inseparable. How do I see the church? I see the church in feel, uh, uh, seven analogies. We are His body. We are connected. You are not an arm floating around. You're not a finger floating around. You are connected to the other members of the body. You are not just a member of the body. You are connected to the members of the body. If you are not connected, you are amputated, you will die. It will putrefy. It will disintegrate. The life force is because of its connectivity. Any Christian that is disconnected cannot be sustained out of themselves. We are sustained from the head, from the heart, from the blood, from the bones, from the joints. We are connected. Every joint supplies, every part doing its share causes growth or causes life. Where there is no connectivity, there is no life. You have to catch this. This is really important because the attack is to get us to be disconnected. To be disconnected is guaranteed death. Death and separation means the exact same thing. Absent from the body, death, separation. So the moment you are separated from the body, it equals death. Take a coal out of the fire. The coal will grow cold. Our collective force is what keeps us alive, what keeps us connected. We are His body. We are His bride. We are not a one-night stand. We are not a date. We are His bride, connected. The two become one flesh, connected in the Spirit. We are His 
temple, living stones fitted together. We are not a wall. We are not a stone. We are living stones built together. We are constructed. We are not bricks molded in a, in a brick factory. We are uniquely cut. Just like the temple was built, the stones were cut. They were made outside of the city. They were uniquely cut, shaped, and then brought together. There is no cement holding us together. What brings us together is our, is our common redemption. We are connected in the Spirit. There is no cement holding us together. We are uniquely cut and shaped. If there's something that's not allowing proper alignment, they come in and they chisel it away so that it is perfectly fit together, held by our love for Him and held by our love for one another. It is the love that keeps us together. It is the love that keeps us forgiving, and, and uh, love covers a multitude of sins, and our frailty and our weakness is covered by the strength of our relationship to Him. Having received mercy, grace, forgiveness, we give it to those that harm us, which brings me to a point. The church is imperfect. The reason it is imperfect is because Christ came to save sinners. The fact that we are here today is the reality that we were sinners lost. No way of saving ourselves, but the love of God came and arrested us, won our hearts, and we today are the product of the cross, not of our discipline, our self-purity, our personal holiness. We are here because of His love that has won our hearts. And yet the church is so critical of the church uh, to the point that now even the world turns around and calls us hypocrites. Where did they get that terminology? It's the terminolo terminology of the church. Because we don't believe in one another. We don't cover one another's weaknesses and flaws. We expose one another, and instead of protecting and loving, I wish we would get the culture that is found in the, in the armed forces of this nation. No greater love is any man than this lady. He lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did it for us, but will we do it for one another? And even when someone is wounded or injured in, in America, you leave your position of safety and cover, and you go and retrieve that body under fire or that wounded comrade, and you bring them back. That is our culture in the American forces, yet it is actually meant to be the culture of the kingdom. Yet what we do is we, we leave people injured, bleeding out, and dying on the battlefield. We don't go rescue them. We don't rec recover them. We criticize them. Look, they got hurt. Look, they got wounded. Look, that leader took a, a head shot. And instead of going to cover, restore, and help, and heal, and raise, we expose and humiliate. And if we do that to one another... It, what it is, it's the amplified voice of the devil that wants to diminish our position, our unity, our strength, our force, our collective force. Is this too heavy for you? Tough. I'm not backing down. We are his temple. We're also his army. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the leader of the armies of heaven, not just the angelic force, but the, the, the militancy of the church that we have been given the keys of the kingdom, that whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth or what we allow is allowed on earth. We have the keys of authority. We have been clothed for warfare. God is a mighty man of war, and He's called us into a holy conflict, not for our salvation, but to enforce the victory of Calvary through the gospel into our society, through our intercession in bringing people into the place of being positioned for the glory of God. And, and so we have been raised in this militancy. We are also His nation. We are connected. I have a passport, an American passport, signed and sealed that wherever I go in the world, the United States government will look. I know I'm from Africa, but I'm an African-American. I carry an American citizenship. America is great. It's a great nation. It's part of the problem is the church of America doesn't realize how powerful this nation is, how powerful the church of America is, because whatever happens in America today affects the world tomorrow. 
And likewise in the Spirit, there's just something about it. You'd think that the, the, the church of Jerusalem would affect the world. I'm telling you now, as one who has traveled on five continents in so many nations, I've lost count. The Church of America is the greatest force of the church in the world. If we'd realize that we'd utilize our corporate energy and corporate wealth and, uh, and, and become a force to this world for world missions, right now the church is pulling away because we can barely get our act together in the local mission, let alone in world missions. But we are a nation. We have a holy citizenship that is in heaven. Our names are, are written not only in the book of life, but in our personal passport as a carrier of the glory of God. We are connected as a nation. We, we share the same king. We are not a democracy. We are a theocracy. He rules. We don't vote for his rule. We don't have, we don't have, to, we don't have to bring our, our leaders and judges to, I bind you in Jesus' name. <laughs> we don't have to bring our leaders before the world for approval. Our approval comes from God. Hallelujah. Uh, we are not appointed by man. We are appointed by God. We are promoted by God. It is not a democracy. You have no voice in a collective voice as a vote. Your voice really is your faith, is the gospel, is your unity. You can't vote for the church. You can't vote for position. You are appointed by the grace of God. That's religious tradition. We are gifted, anointed, and called. And when someone joins a church, they join themselves to a vision. They join themselves to a mission. They join themselves to a leadership. And the way you vote is if you don't like it, you go somewhere else. And then you'll go somewhere else, and you'll go somewhere else, and then you're going to realize the grass is not greener on the other side because it's astroturf. One day you may even get the, the, the math right and work it out. There's only one common denominator in, in every church that has caused problem and pain. It's you, honey, because we are flawed. We are weak. It's grace that saves us, and it's grace that keeps us together. We're His army. We're His nation. We're His field. We're His family. There is nothing there that is about individualism. It is about collective force. It is our gathering together. I haven't even got into I seek yet. That's why I bind that now. I'm going to be like, like the prophet. I'm going to stop the sun. You, you're just going to watch. Every restaurant will be emptied by the time you come out. They're just going to have place waiting for you. It's going to be a supernatural event right now happening in the spirit. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says um, in Psalm 23, 6, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Talk about commitment to the church. Talk about commitment to the sanctuary. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because he's connected to the shepherd. He's fed. He's warded. He's protected. Doesn't mean circumstances are always perfect. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. In fact, even in the midst of attack, even in the presence of your enemies, there are enemies against you, but he will feed you, he will anoint you, he will protect you, he will keep you. And the psalmist says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because he understands that you can't make it on your own. That you're not just saved into a personal relationship, you're saved into a corporate relationship. Look here as well. Um, I'm cutting to the chase. Psalm 63, 1 and 2. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Where was he? In the wilderness of Judah. What's a wilderness? A wilderness. <laughs> oh God, you are my God. Wait. Oh God, you are my God. Personal, yes, but don't stop there. Early will I seek you. Ha <laughs> ha, I love that. Early will I seek you. You mean I've got to get up early? <laughs> the word early, let me give you late 
sleepers, you like to get your eight or nine hours of sleep, let me give you some help here. Early means priority. So you don't have to be like me and get up at five o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. That early means my first priority of the day. Early will I seek you. Early will I seek you. Where? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land, wilderness, where there is no water. But in the Spirit, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary. Though he is located in the wilderness, he understands the concept of the sanctuary. Even your GPS position doesn't determine your spirituality if you are rightly connected to the house of God. You can be in the wilderness and yet be in the sanctuary, the place of God's manifested glory, hallelujah, to see your power and your glory. So your location should not determine your spirituality. Your connectivity to the sanctuary determines your spirituality. Psalm 27, 4. One thing. What's one thing? Priority. His priority. I have desired of the Lord. That will I seek. In other words, what is your priority? That's where you're going to go after. That's what you're going to seek. What's that? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He was a seeker after the corporate expression of the glory of God. Where? In the sanctuary. See this also in the uh, Psalm 84, verses 1. I won't have time to read it all. To the chief musicians on the instrument of Goth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Where was the living God found? In the courts, in the sanctuary, in the corporate expression. Though He is everywhere all the time, there is something about being gathered together as the saints of God. And later on in verse 8, he says, Each one appears before God in Zion. In other words, though God was in all the cities, all the villages, but there is something about Zion. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. So we see that the temple is beautiful, desired. People loved it. We need to understand that in the Spirit as well. Um, in First um, Chronicles 29, and I read from verse 1, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and, has, uh, cho- uh, and, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. So we understand that the temple is not for the comfort of man. Our gathering together is not to make you comfortable. Though we've got air conditioning, good lighting, good sound, it is not actually for your comfort. We ought to be uh, challenging you to grow to your full potential. A comfortable church where everyone just wants to feel good when you come in and feel good when you go out and not be challenged is a uh, church that will tickle your ears. You want to be challenged. You want to be shaken. Uh, I, I love that concept that, you know, we, we, we comfort the afflicted, but we afflict the comfortable. <laughs> we don't want you to be comfortable. We want you to be challenged. We want you to be stirred. We want you to have the limitations broken off your life so that you can enter into the full potential that God has got for your life. And later on in verse 3, he says, because I've set my affection on the house of my God. David had an affection, a love for the house of God because he understood the corporate Shekinah of God. Let me bring it in. Jesus was zealous for the house. Why were you searching for me in Luke 2.49? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? In my father's house, there's a place. After Jesus drove out the money changers in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, the disciples remembered, zeal for your house has eaten me up. The New Living Translation says, Passion for God's house will consume me. We need to have passion for God, but also for God's house. If we're just passionate for God, but not for God's house, you may not be properly connected to the corporate expression. We need to have a 
passion like Jesus also for the Father. He had a passion for the Father, but he also understood the business of heaven was found in the Father's house. In First Chronicles, First uh, Corinthians, chapter three, sixteen and seventeen says, "You should know that you yourselves are God's temple. Individually, yes, our body is the temple, but corporately we make the temple. God's spirit lives in you individually, yes, but also corporately. If any man destroys God's temple, flesh, Saul on the Damascus road, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" I'm not persecuting you, bright and shining light with an audible voice. I'm persecuting these crazy Christians, these, these uh, members of the way. No, when you touch them, you touch me. You cannot separate Jesus from the church. If any man destroys God's temple, then God will destroy that person. Why? Because God's temple is holy. You yourselves, he says, you yourselves are God's temple. In Ephesians 2, I read it. To you earlier, you are now you are citizens together with God's holy people. You belong to God's family. You believers are like a building that God owns. The building was built on the foundation that the apostles and the prophets prepared. Christ Himself is the most important stone in that building. The whole building is joined together in Christ, and Christ makes it grow and become a holy temple in the Lord. So we see that we are built, correctly constructed, and we're to grow individually in our faith, in our vision, in our potential, in our gifting, but we're also to grow together until the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. People say, well, God doesn't live in buildings. Upper room, the house of Cornelius, the prayer in Acts chapter 4, the Spirit of God came into buildings. The whole house was filled and the people in the house. While Peter yet spoke, the Spirit fell. The place was shaken, not just the people, the place was shaken. God moves in buildings. At the dedication of the tabernacle, the glory came in. At the dedication of the temple, the glory came in. At the dedication of the church, the glory came in. God does live in buildings. That building may be a prison. Paul and Silas were in a prison. God visited them in the prison, broke the doors open. And uh, why? Because His glory came in and delivered them. Where two or more are gathered, there He is, even in their midst. People have become disillusioned with the church. We need to restore our vision of the church. And here's my closing scripture found in Ephesians 5.25. This is critical. We use it in marriage conferences all the time. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Notice that Christ loved the church. He didn't just love you for God so loved the world. But Christ, when he died, he didn't just die to free you from your sins. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So his death was for you as an individual to be freed from hell but also we collectively so we could be raised the building of God. Christ gave himself for it. Here it is in verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh. In other words, you're not meant to hate the church, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Do we love and nourish and cherish the church just as the Lord does the church? For we are members of his body, connected to him. And of his bones. Verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. Not talking about marriage here. And be joined to his wife. Not talking about marriage. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. We interpret this about marriage. This is about church. He's using marriage as an analogy. Sacrificial love, submission, commitment to one another. But it's a much higher dimension. It's about a commitment to church. The two shall become one. You don't get that superficially attending church on a Sunday morning. You get into the life. You get into the training, you get into the discipling, you get into the vision, you get into it with your heart, you get into it with your, with your feet, with your mouth, with your hands, with your finances. You become a part of the church. Here's the thing. If you don't rise to it, 
The church is not going to fail without you. The gates of hell will not prevail, but you'll miss God's best for your life. We need to have a shift where Christians see the church by revelation, not just by tradition, by culture. You may have been a Catholic, you may have been an Episcopalian, you may have been a Baptist, you got saved, born again, filled with the Spirit, you joined this church, you became a part of this church. Not so that you could keep your cultural worldview of Catholicism, of Methodism, of Episcopalian. You need to get a biblical revelation of church and your place in it. You're a gift. You're a ministry. You're a worker. You're a part of the church. You are not just saved to attend meetings. You're saved to be equipped, trained, and mobilized into the harvest to pray mountain-moving prayers, to carry the glory of God to your society. You're a witness. You're a bright, shining light in your world. And unless your light shines in that world, your world may be untouched by the power of God. Our job is to equip you to reach your world. Let's stand. Let's pray. Pastor, I went on a little longer, but like I said, lunch will not disappear. It's going to be there waiting for you. But I only come once a year, and this is one of the most critical messages that I could ever share because we need to see church by revelation. We need to seek God. We need to come in when we do come in with hunger, expectation, with faith, not just as a sense of obligation and duty. We don't just tolerate church. We celebrate it. We come with hearts that are passionate for the things of God in our collective gathering together. We're not just going through the motions. We are here to collectively seek God for a download of His glory and of His Spirit. Before I hand over to Pastor to close, if you have been disconnected for church from church, You're just going through the motions. You attend church, but you're not a part of the church. You're not connected. You're not engaged. You just attend. Listen, Jesus was not building a crowd. He quickly lost the crowd because he needed committed followers. We're not trying to build an audience so we have a big ego. We're not trying to have a big crowd so that we can impress society. We want to reach our generation. If you want to be a part of a vital church where you can be equipped and trained, then you need to have a shift in your revelation. You need to see church as the calling of God for your life. Not just a place that you attend, but a people who you are. If you've been wounded and injured and you just have backed away from the people of God, you need to have your heart healed. There are many wounded Christians because of the frailty of other Christians, leaders that have said something, done something, or didn't do something that you expected them to do. And as a result, you built up walls. But those walls are not just keeping people from you. you keeping yourself from God's best. You have to get those walls down and expose your life again. And can I guarantee you there's going to be no pain? I cannot give you that guarantee. I can give you the guarantee that if you get engaged in the church, you will be hurt again. But we don't quit because we fear pain. Because in family, there's pain. I was reading about the history of you're like this. Uh, I was reading about Grand Funk Railroad and their history. They split a great band. You know why? Because stuff went wrong. I was reading about Chicago. You know, they split. Why? Because things went wrong. I was reading the history of the Eagles. They split. You know why? Because things went wrong. They said they didn't split. They went on a 14-year vacation. They split. You know why? Because of contracts, because of life expectations, because of money. Rock bands split because of broken relationships. Families split because of broken relationships. Churches split because of broken relationships. The fact is that God does not split from His church. We split from it. We will go on. He will go on. You'll miss what God's got for your life. When I got hurt, injured in church, I said, I'm never going to go back. Bunch of hypocrites. The Lord said to me, Leon, if you don't get over this, this will be over your life. You'll never reach your potential. He said, you better get over this. I did, thank God. That's why I'm such a lover of the church. Not because I haven't been injured. I can show you the wounds 
that I've suffered in my home, in my marriage, in my family as a result of being in the church ministry 45 years working with frail people, my own frailties, my own idiosyncrasies, my own flaws, all come into the mix. But I'll tell you this, God believes in church. He loves the church in spite of our frailty, weakness, and idiosyncrasies. We have to get over it. When we hurt, forgive. How many times? 77 times. So you have to forgive and you've got to be able to calculate 70 times 7. Which makes you almost genius. I just just forgive. I just say, I don't know the math, but I'm just going to forgive. And when I forgive, and I'll do it again until I think I've exhausted 70 times 7. If you're here and you've become disconnected from the church, Leon, I need to get right not only with God, but with church. Raise your hand quickly. I want to pray for you. It's not to embarrass you. I know there are, you somehow think that this is to expose you. I want to heal you today in the spirit. If something is missing in your dimension with a relationship with the church, you need to just open your heart and say, God, please, I need to get this right in me. If you've been wounded, injured in the church, just slip up your hand. I'm going to pray for you. All right, anyone else? I want to see people healed today by the glory of God. Anyone else? I need to get my life right with God and with church. Is there anyone else? Lord God, I pray that you'd give holy revelation, that we'd become seekers of you with passion. Early will I seek you with passion. Early will I seek you personally. Early as my priority, I will seek you in your sanctuary. God, help us to gain a revelation of our role in the church as gifts, as ministries, as uh, people that are called, separated from the world and immersed into the body of Christ baptized into the body of Christ. Join. God, please give us a holy revelation. Heal broken hearts. Heal offenses. Heal woundedness that has got into lives, oh God. Not only heal, but God, restore uh, what has been lost, what has been destroyed. Restore it, oh God, that people would have the joy of their salvation, that they'd be like the psalmist, this, that my heart, my flesh cry, out to the living God where in the sanctuary God may we have that yearning like early Christians where they gathered daily God they so loved the gathering they gathered daily may you awaken such a passion that we would continue steadfastly in our gathering together with you come oh God heal us Heal our lives. Heal the church of America, oh God. Please, not only this church, but every church that is named by your name, every church that is sincerely seeking you, God, please do a work of restoration that the church of America would rise and shine for our light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. We pray, oh God, for a great revival in this nation that you would shake us not only in the spirit and in the supernatural, but God, you would shape us in character. You would shape us in commitment. You would shape us in unity that God would be united as local expressions, but we'd be united, oh God, collectively as churches of a city, churches of a nation. Heal the church of America. Heal the church of Olive Branch. Heal the church of Memphis. Heal the church of Tennessee, of Mississippi. Heal the church, oh God, in this region, I pray. Bring the walls of division, uh, oh God. Cause those walls to be broken down, that walls of unity would be built, oh God. Just like you uh, called Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, God, I pray that you raise up Nehemiahs that would build the walls of spiritual Jerusalem, the churches of this city, this region. In Jesus' name, amen, Pastor Bob. Praise the Lord. great word. I ask the prayer partners to come down. We're going to close and we'll give you opportunity. Maybe you've been critical of the church. You just need someone to talk to, someone to pray with you. Come and receive from these. What time tonight? I can't hear you. Six o'clock. What time Monday night? Six thirty. I'm here coming back tonight.
bring somebody with you. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have, he's going to have some more time, and uh, we're going to be impacted and changed. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.